everyone and welcome to Medhead's Nerd Podcast Season 4 Episode 4. Yes. We are back with our regular Mano a Mano episodes. Today we're going to be talking about King Agit first. Agratuni the first. Yeah. Um he, he basically over after Sambat's death. So we're going to be talking about his life and everything he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we're we're still in this time era era the area time era because there's a lot of tons we've talked about it a lot um, there's tons and tons of information about yeah. so many of the different families and the factions and and what was really going on because it was a not turmoil but there was a lot of um, inter-family strife and whatnot and alliances and there's so much information about all those alliances and some of the architectural buildings and things like this and a lot of the achievements yeah yeah of, it, it was a lots was of information a, during this time era great time and uh, for armenian mm-hmm. you know like yeah there was a lot of back and forth a lot of turmoil with the, the byzantines and, and uh, caliphates yeah and, you know, all this it, stuff that was it happening. wasn't just like it wasn't just like one thing swept yeah. through that time era there's so many different branches of what was going on in this yeah. Yeah. in this like little 200 250 year time yeah. period so uh we got a lot of information to cover today uh, i think you guys are gonna like this episode uh like it's a lot of detailed uh, uh events we're gonna be talking about but as usual, um, there isn't much announcements. Obviously, right now, uh, the world is pretty much on fire with everything that's happening uh, in the Middle East. Um, it's it's an unfortunate situation, and it's kind of almost cast a shadow on what happened in Armenia and Artsakh. Um, There's certain geopolitical tie-ins, but that's a that's a topic for another podcast yes. and and you and i have discussed that we yes. want to do an episode and talk yes. about everything that's happening right now and how it ties into our history and everything that has taken place yeah. uh we're working on that we want to put a great informational informational program together for yeah. you guys um so it, it's factual uh yeah and, and we're not we're not making any yeah. of this stuff up yeah. just some stuff that vic and i usually talk about that off air yeah off air um could have major tie-in to ancient times leading up to modern times yeah and how that era in between has been impacted through certain individuals groups yeah factions whatever you want to yeah. call them yeah but what i wanted to mention is as uh you know we're still helping hike for our heroes uh to uh raise as much funds as possible they are on the grounds uh in armenia helping all the displaced families from artsakh they're doing uh, amazing work um if you guys don't follow them follow them on instagram and you'll see all the videos that they post everything that they are doing um uh, great organizations uh and uh, veterans of armenia as well they're they kind of joined forces together both organizations and um, we trust them. Uh, you've seen in previous episodes, we've donated on our behalf. So if you guys uh, can, please go help as much as possible. Join Every, them on their hikes. Yeah, join them on their hikes. They recently just did a uh, a night at one of the, um, uh, I think it was like a bonfire at a beach. Dude, we got to go again. I want to go. I know. I Unfortunately, it was. I know you're busier than I am on the weekends. Yeah, yeah, with so, the kids and everything. But. but uh definitely follow them so 
and also we mentioned that we will be we are working on the sculpture mm-hmm. uh hike you're almost finished with Should that. Should be done by the end of this week, the latest. Yeah. So, uh, next episode, we will feature that. Follow us on Instagram um, where we will post it. And this is going to be pre order. Um, and we're going to take pre orders. It's made to order. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, it'll take probably a few weeks to maybe even a month for it to be ready. And then we'll ship it to you. And again, like we said, all the proceeds from those sculptures that are sold will be going to like. Yes. Uh, for our heroes mm-hmm. organization um last episode uh with katia it was a great that was, that was a great yeah, conversation great, great conversation mm-hmm. uh we, i want to thank everybody who has watched that episode and listened to it we had over ten thousand views on youtube um thank you so much and if you guys go back to that video uh we have the link for her book go ahead and purchase that book mm-hmm. it's it's amazing read it uh, you learn a lot from her uh, story. She's so and, knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah, and all the time she put in yeah. to do all that research, a lot of information to um, to share uh, the truth of what yep. has taken place, going all the way back to the 1800s mm-hmm. till uh, till now. So, um, besides that, uh, that's pretty much it. Um, so, like I said, we're back to just you and I doing what we do best. I ah. love the interviews, but I miss this so. Um, again, with today we're going to be talking about uh, Gagi. Shall, first, shall we? Shall we Bakraduni again? Yeah, let me put on my glasses so uh, I can see. So you could look yeah, smart. Yeah, I'm an old man now. Wait, so. hold on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're real. Yeah. Well, you know, once you get in your forties, the high sights. I'm getting going, there. Yeah, I'm but. getting there. So, uh, back in 990, uh, when Sambat the second, without an heir, kind of left the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it was his younger brother, Gagik I, who took the reins of Armenian throne, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Gagik Pakraduni, uh, who ruled for three decades, uh, up until, what, 1020? Yeah. Under the leadership of Armenia, especially the capital Ani, truly flourished under, under his reign. Yeah. Uh, the 11th century historian Aristakis Latsiversi, which I... Lastiversi. I might have slightly butchered it, but I like that first name is awesome. Aristakis. uh, It's got like mm. Italian, you know? Mm. No, man, Greek. Aristakis. I kind of hear Italian, but okay. He he had quite an impression of him, uh, labeling him a strong and victorious king who kept Armenia peaceful. Um, If you're victorious, you better keep your country peaceful. Yeah. I've also come across another historian. by the name of Step, Stepan of Tarun or Stephen of Tarun, as he's referred to. We've talked about him yeah. before. We've men- made mention of him, uh, who highlighted how King Gagik managed to bring back the lands of the Parisos and Sunik kingdoms, as well as regions like Gardman, Vayotzor, Chahuk, and parts of Tazguk under the central Bakraduni domain. Yeah. Um, well, you know, um, it wasn't just a peaceful gathering. Um, like, Basically, quite a few of the uh, reunifications were achieved through military might. Well, of course. Um, think about Vaspurakan, Avanan, Tashid, and Sunik. They all recognized King Gagik I's rule, both in principle and in practice. And this recognition often came after Gagik demonstrated his military uh, uh, prowess, reminding these kingdoms who really held power. Yeah, fascinating. Right? Very fascinating. Yeah. 
And that's the, um, there's that piece of him reclaiming the counties of Gokovit, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and Zakoten. It's we've we've had trouble with yeah, that one. With the, it's the way they have these. <laughs> it's it's Zakoten, yeah. yeah. And uh, also very important, liberating Dvin from Muslim rule, mm-hmm. previously having been a tug of war between the Bagratuni and the Artsuruni family. And that was that was a very pivotal thing. We've discussed that yeah. in numerous episodes. Yeah. The, the you know the battle for Dvin back right? and forth, yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Uh, so Stephen of Tarun's observations about King Gagik are uh, pretty interesting to say the least. Um, yeah. He says, and I quote. The king acquired more lands and castles than even his brother managed, and there wasn't an enemy feared under his rule in Armenia, and all of this because he was both wise and skilled in warfare, but also incredibly magnanimous. Yeah, that's, that's what mean, a word, magnanimous. Magnanimous, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he 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 kind of wanted to follow his brother's, you know, what Sambat the second had done mm-hmm. and, and, yeah, even, he, and, and more, he achieved you know, make a lot. More, yeah. More a powerful. Lot. Yeah. Um, as to his military might, yeah. uh, I was amazed to learn that under Gagik Arachin or Gagik the first, Armenia boasted a standing army of roughly 100,000. And again, back then that's, that's a massive number. We're not talking yeah. about today's, you know, or, or military has 2 million. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, hundred thousand back then, especially for the region that we had. Oh yeah, that's a that's a lot. A heck of an that's army. A lot of men, right there. Um, even the powerful Byzantine emperor Basil, as we've yeah. talked about, or Barsag, as the Armenians called him, of the Armenian dynasty, had to tread carefully when he tried to annex Dyke in one thousand one. Right after David Bagraduni's death, he soon found himself bordering not just the kingdom of Lars but also the central Bakraduni kingdom of Armenia. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, King Gagik wasn't someone to be easily pressured. No. Uh, in fact, um, Basil II quickly realized that annexing the significant kingdom uh, centered in Ani wouldn't be walk in the park. I mean, talk about showing uh it didn't seem like the bakradunis were yeah. pushovers no but especially gagia speaks to gagi's strength and <laughs> oh, yeah. his uh instance of maintaining the revered bagratuni uh, title like king of kings yes, and king that. of armenia iberia and albania mm-hmm. yeah well right such as, a we, as, as we've talked about albania and yeah. iberia being basically modern day georgia yeah i mean you know when you go back and forth in, in history and you, and you read about all everything that was happening it's such a remarkable era for armenia yeah yeah right um continuing on with the saga of gagik's era we see another bakraduni domain strengthening uh we've also made mention of this prior um Fascinating figure emerges from there, David Bakraduni, who was famously known as the Landless, or Anhorin in yeah. Armenian. Yeah. Interesting name, um, or interesting nickname. We, we haven't talked about David no, Bakraduni. but this but is the, the first time there's a mention yeah, of him. But the nickname yeah. is Anhorin, or Anhorin the, land, Landless. the David the oh, Landless. There's a reason for that. Yes, there is. So. David, David's reign spanned quite some time, right from 989 to 1048. It's quite a while. He was an aggressive ruler, capturing territories from the Emirate of Tbilisi, or Tabris, mm-hmm. and he even made the Emir his subordinate, which is quite an achievement. Wow. Plus, he triumphed over the Shadid Emir of Ganzak, Al-Fadi ibn Muhammad, 
the first, bringing parts of the Armenian provinces like Artsakh and Utik under his control. See, Artsakh's yeah. mentioned a thousand years ago. Where was Azerbaijan? Nowhere to be yeah. found. Sorry, I had to... Yeah, but David's uh, ambitions got the better of him when he tried to challenge King Gagik the first, mm. um, the recognized king of king yes of armenia yes yes and gogik's response was immediate and most importantly severe (laughs) yes he annexed all of david's territories which led to david being labeled as the landless there you go so i mean it's like i shall take the land away from you and we shall name you the landless Talk about a scar I mean, for life. I mean, it's like, how, how, yeah. you know, it's like, here, we're just going to brand you this too. Yeah. Yeah. In historical records of the time, that's what he was referred to as. Yeah. But it's worth noting that Gagik was also compassionate. Once David acknowledged his authority, mm-hmm. Gagik graciously, graciously returned his territories. Yeah. But here's the thing that name stuck. Yeah. Of course it that's did. That's it. I'm curious how long that. <laughs> this 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 um acknowledgement took yeah because uh, that that would be very important because that would give a lot of people plenty of time to get used to that name yeah you know it's like it's like any nickname that somebody gets used to it's like it didn't happen for two days three days or yeah, two weeks yeah. it's a long time and yeah. then it just sticks and that's it that's how that. you, even like you know if they get older let's say you got a nickname when you were in junior high or yeah, something it's like gonna that, stick. right it's gonna stick everybody's like in 40 years old they're still like, calling you the yeah, landless exactly <laughs> Um, so while Gokik was dealing with David, there were movements in Iberia, uh, particularly with Gurgen II Bagratuni and his son Bagrat the sec- uh, the third, I should say, mm-hmm. in Abkhazia, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, Gurgen the II was at the helm in Iberia at the time. Yeah. Um, and after his death in 1008, with Gagik first, Gagik the first assistant. His son, Bakrat Yerot, or the third, mm-hmm. managed to merge the kingdoms of Abkhazia and Iberia, what we'd now identify as Georgia. Ab- Abkhazia yeah. is, I think today, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is kind of like a, what, are they considered an autonomous area in Georgia? Remember that whole conflict that happened with yeah. Russia? When was yeah. it? In 2010 or some, yeah, sometime some around. around there? Yeah, I don't remember the date. Yeah, 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 yeah. But and isn't it still annexed by Russia? Yeah, something. But I think it's still within the borders of Georgia, but controlled by Russia. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's Call like it a, an occupation. It's yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like a pretty big chunk of the country, though. Yeah, but Gagik didn't uh, just stop with helping with unification. Yeah. Um, he also helped Baghdad the third during uh, you know any type of uh, military confrontations oh of course he right? did of course he did yeah. um when especially during the uh when the shadadid emir yeah uh hold on i keep messing up his name al-fadi ibn muhammad there you go attacked uh Kacheti yeah. around 1010 gagik was right there uh backing bakrat the third there was a crucial georgian primary source um th- this individual's name was matian kartlisi or Chronicle of Kartli in English that provides detailed insights into this period. I guess he was their yeah. version of their historian, yeah. maybe that was chronicling everything. Yeah. Um, the title of Matian, by the way, uh, is actually derived from the Armenian word of Matian, yeah. which means manuscript. Yep. Uh, it's fascinating how some of these cultures share 
so many of these words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is an intriguing connection. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, a certain someone created their alphabet. True. Did he not? Yeah, he did. Five yeah. centuries prior to this. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, there's a lot of words that are being shared and, and whatnot. And, yeah. yeah. You know? And um, we wonder what the Chronicles of Katil say about that time. Please do tell us. The Chronicle paints a vivid picture. Al-Fadal, the emir of Ganji, uh, secretly started raiding the regions of Erti and Kakheti. Now, King Bagrat, infuriated by all Fadel's uh, audacity, gathered his troops and reached out to Gagik for support. Gagik, obviously more than eager to help, assembled his, assembled his forces and met Bagrat. The two unified the, uh, their armies at uh, Zorakert, and when Al-Fadil witnessed their combined might advancing, he was paralyzed with fear, retreating to one of his fortresses. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yep. You know, the guy backed off. He, he saw to. that 100,000 plus coming towards him. I mean, that's and, a uh, big army, man. Yeah. I mean, especially if the whole thing's assembling to come at you on, on horseback and, and on foot. I mean, army. you know, it's just so captivating uh, to imagine these great kings, uh, you know, their armies and the ancient landscapes uh, I mean, that thank, they ruled. Thank you know. God for, what was his name again? Matian? Yeah. Matiani? What, what, let, me, let me get that correct one more time. What was his name? Hold on. Um, Matian Kart, Kartlisi. Kartlisi, there you yeah, go. Thank yeah, thank God for yeah. these chroniclers, yeah, yeah. right? Like... I'm just the, the, that time, like you know, we keep talking about that time machine. <laughs> yeah. What a time must have been, I mean, right? But, to then, go but now you're asking to like jump around time timelines and just be a spectator of all yeah. this stuff going on. Yeah. But would you interfere? Ooh, oh, see, that's a good question there. Okay, that that's that. We don't have to talk about that now. But would you interfere? God. Like knowing what you know. See, this is this gets into that whole that whole that whole Back to the Future conundrum. Yeah. If you interfere, yeah. what happens? Then it messes with the time space continuum. Yeah, like Doc said. Yeah, <laughs> and then back you, to the and future yeah. stuff. And then you come back, or me is ruling the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> should we try this? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm talking. Should we, we need should, to... should we say something? Come on. Hey, so um, why don't you guys uh, start supporting us on Patreon so we can build that time machine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be great. Nice segue, huh? It would be great. I mean. Um, I mean, it would be great technology to get involved in. Anyway, um, truly an unbelievable era of powerful leaders, yeah, military yeah, alliances. Yeah. Uh, it's just like this whole time period we've been covering between 9th and 11th centuries. I know we've kind of been, it feels like we're kind of doing yeah. this, but too many alliances, too many major battles, yeah. uh, 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 armies and whatnot to talk about. It's yeah. kind of too important to just, you know, shove under the rug and walk away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, history never fails to amaze. Well, um, diving deeper into the personal life of Gagik mm -hmm. the first, uh, let's talk about his royal union. Now, um, he married Princess Katramide or mm -hmm. Katramide, depending on which way you want to go. We've heard this name plenty yeah. of times before. Um, uh, you know, daughter of King Basak Suni, mm -hmm. right? Yes, indeed. As she was the queen, mm -hmm. also known as Katranide the Second, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Together, uh, they had quite the uh, 
their own little army themselves. Three sons, two daughters. Wow. Three sons we've talked about. Uh, Hovan as some yeah. names would sound familiar. Did we Hovan talk about the daughters, though? No, no. That. I'll get there in a second. Hovan as Abbas, and Ashot, who we have, we have made mention yeah, before. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, and the two daughters, Ushush, which is one of the daughters, ended up marrying the last Artsruni king of Vaspurakan, Senekerim Hovanes, who we have spoken about. Yes. While Sophia, we have never spoken about her, became the queen besides the Bakratuni king of Iberia. So you see the pieces of the chess border being yeah. placed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, there's some interesting speculation about some of these timelines of their marriages and whatnot, but we're not really yeah, getting yeah, into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, many scholars believe that Gagik uh, might have married Katramide before he officially became uh, uh, the king, mm-hmm. when he was still ruling the county of Gerarunik, which covers the Lake Sevan Basin area, um, known as Le- Lake uh, Geram back then, mm-hmm. actually. A lot of people might not know that. Sevan used to be called Geram. Um, uh, given its proximity of the kingdom of Sunik, there's little doubt that Gagik and King Vasak Suni had closer, uh, mm-hmm. you know, relationship, um, which probably paved the way for Gagik's union with Katramide. Um, and by the way, listeners, um, stay tuned for our special episode dedicated to Queen Katramide II. Um, we're trying to gather a lot more information about her because I think she's a fascinating uh, uh, female um, yeah, she's powerhouse. Come, she's back come in the up. Days she's that, come yeah, up in numerous yeah. episodes. Yeah. And so we and uh, she was a very important figure next to King Gagik uh, the first, um, and in completing the Great Mother Cathedral of Ani. So um, as soon as we again we're doing a lot of research, trying to put all this together to have a nice story for you guys mm-hmm. so we can present her the right way. So that's going to be coming up. Still still trying still trying to figure out how to say her name properly. It's, well, uh, according to... Uh, Kat- Kat- Katranid? Yeah, according Katranid to uh, or... Professor, Professor Chris, Christina Moranti, yeah. she said that... Uh, Yatsu. <laughs> she, uh, she said that it, it, some historians... Know her as Katramide, some know her as Katranide. We were saying Katranid. Katranid, yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought maybe the that. E didn't really have any significance, but yeah, I guess it yeah. does. But uh, speaking of significant figures, during King Gagit's reign, we see the rise of new noble families, the House of Palavuni, a house mm-hmm. which was originally uh, not as uh, influential. But as we know, some way, somehow, they became influential. Yeah. Um, so the House of Palavuni... Uh, ascent was mere happenstance, to say the least. Yeah. To counter the secessionist tendencies of the older, powerful Naharad houses, like the Artunis or Sunnis, Gagik made a calculated move. He aimed to build a robust power base by empowering previously smaller aristocratic houses in exchange for their unwavering royalty. The Pavlavunis were one such beneficiary of yeah, this plan. Yeah, they jumped so, on the opportunity. So basically, Gagik was trying to neutralize some sort of like, I guess call it, I don't want to say uprising, but he, he saw something was yeah, brewing somewhere, yeah. maybe in the distance or somewhere near. Like, all right, how do I, how do I kind of balance this out? Yeah. I need some people on yeah. my side. Not that people were against him, but he needed some powerful allies or to bring somebody 
up yeah. top to kind of, you know, kind of balance things out yeah. here. Yeah. And uh, this move uh, significantly strengthened the kingdom's overall potential. You know, he knew what he was doing. Um, post Gagik's reign, the Palvunis held a substantial land in the Nig County of Ararat province, especially around the Bajni fortress. Um, um, and let's not forget, in the, um, in the centuries that followed, many key religious leaders, including Archbishop of Ani and several uh, Catholic oil of Ar- the Armenian church, um, came from the house of Palavuni. Of course. So, I mean, if you, if you kind of ascend to something, and you're yeah. a beneficiary of such uh, fruits. Yeah. And you know, you're going to, yeah. you're going to get into high places. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty strategic uh, masterstroke to say the least. Um, ensuring what, what you want to call this, like political stability or whatever you want to call this. I mean, it's kind of the yeah. case, yeah. right? I mean, his, his reign truly reshaped the socio-political fabric of the Armenian or Armenia, I should say, during that era. Um, sh- like shifting gears, um slightly let's talk mm-hmm. about uh, gregory palavun uh, palavun also yeah. known as gregory magit um Ma- the magistrate magistros yeah, mag- uh, magistrate, magistrate more magistrate, or less yeah, yeah mag- uh. magistros palavuni um a scholar a public official and one of the most <laughs> remarkable figures from the house of palavuni um what's interesting about his title Magistros. I, lo- I see. I like saying it better that way. Magistrate, magistros, magistros. Uh, uh, I mean, he was he was a pretty uh, captivating figure to say the least. Um, the title magistros, Hellenized, obviously, it sounds yeah. Greek. Magistros, from the Latin term magister, meaning master, was more of an honorary title granted by the Byzantine emperor to esteemed aristocrats. Mm-hmm. Your favorite word. Yes, unlike <laughs> I love that word. Unlike other Byzantine titles, which many Armenian aristocrats held and which symbolized various military administrative roles during the Armenian dynasty of the Byzantine Empire. You know what this reminded me of? If any of you Game of Thrones fans, Sam, the chunky dude. Yeah. He was, think about it. You're right. Yeah, totally him, right? Like he wanted to dive into the books and learn about the history of the yeah. of the Night King and, yeah. and the, the White Walkers and all this stuff. Wow, I can't believe I remember that stuff. Has there been an episode we haven't mentioned Game of Thrones? <laughs> it's been a while though. We haven't, we haven't talked about Game of Thrones in a minute. No, I'm talking about what is just you and I. It's always some I mean, kind of a, I mean, I mean, we both love the the but the, yeah, the but show. like but it, it it draws so many parallels because yeah. it's essentially it's indicative of like the close knit relationship between yeah. like the Armenian aristocracy and the empire. Right. And yeah. wasn't Sam kind of like this like dork outcast kind of guy. And then he just, he got in with yeah. the king or the prince or whatever yeah. you, you yeah. consider him. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, precisely many Armenian nobles held honorary t- titles granted by the Byzantine emperors, uh, given the historical intricacies, it's not surprising that out of the limited magistros titles given to the high ranking Byzantine officials during this era, a significant portion was granted to the Armenian lords, uh, including those from the house of Palavuni and Apiratian. Never heard of that. Have no. We, have we talked no, about them? Apiratian. Apiratian yeah. No. Um, 
There is a possibility that Gregory Palavuni received his honorary title from Emperor Basil II um, when he was in, uh, when Basil was in Armenia yeah. in the year 1001. You know, it's, that's a pretty honorary title from an honorary person, or a yeah. pretty big person. Yeah. I, I've, I've read that um, when Basil, Emperor Basil II would basically kind of come into town. Yeah. Um, he was very careful with the way he greeted or didn't greet Gagik Bakraduni. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was some interesting things there that, yeah. you know, when we were looking into this. Well, you're, you're, yeah. you're right you wanna, about you wanna, that. You want to yeah, yeah, elaborate yeah. King, on that? <laughs> actually, this is, this is very interesting. King Gagik Bakraduni chose not to greet Emperor Basil II, most, uh, most likely signaling that he would not stand any interference or attempts to annex parts of his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Talk about a bold move. Yeah. Uh, given that Basil II was overseeing the annexation of the Armenian province of Taik to the Byzantine uh, Empire at that time. Yeah. Now, um, I mean, let's pivot back to Gregory. Uh, he was, you know, pretty deeply rooted, uh, you know, to the house of Palavuni, mm -hmm. um, wasn't he? Yeah, of course he was. I mean, he was a son of, um, so basically he was a son of Sparapet uh, Vasak Pahlavuni. I'm still having a little trouble saying that. And a nephew of esteemed Sparapet Varam Pahlavuni. Gregory's own son, Varam, later assumed the title of Catholicus Gregory II in 1065. This line of leadership persisted with the house of Palavuni producing six more Catholicoi. I guess kind of ran in the family. Barsak the first, Gregory the third, Nerses the fourth, the gracious, Gregory the fourth, Gregory the fifth, um, and Gregory the sixth. I mean, they had control of this more or less. Yeah. It's fascinating how they reigned one after the other. Um, yeah. I guess they kind of had formed their own little monopoly. Yeah. Um, you know, spiritual dynasty of sorts that yeah. lasted what until the early 13th century. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a testament to the influence and the legacy of the House of Palavuni in both political and spiritual spheres uh when it comes to our Armenia during that. Yeah, period, yeah. Right? I mean, of course, their their impact and legacy are more or less like still felt and studied today. Yeah. Um showcasing like such a lasting influence especially with their with the power the family had yeah you know yeah yeah that's that, right during that era yeah yeah well um let's dive deeper into the remarkable contributions of the palavuni family to the culture and architectural fabric of armenia um why don't you elaborate on the key uh, landmarks they I kind of i would associate themselves so with. The Palavuni family, particularly in the 10th and 11th centuries, um, made significant contributions to the architectural heritage of Armenia. Um, I mean, we all know that, you know, with power and, you know, flourishing economy yeah, at the time, yeah. you want to build things. When you build things, the bigger things you build, the more power you flex your muscles with, right? Like, this yeah. is just the way it was. I yeah. mean, even in renaissance italy or whatnot powerful families always built big things they yeah. funded big things their names were all over it of course flex their muscles yeah. right which is great because they built beautiful buildings so one of these examples was the Paron palace in ani 
uh, stands as a testament to the family's prominence. As we mentioned, yeah. its stylistic and artistic ornamentation remains a marvel to this day. And they weren't limited to just palaces. No, 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 they weren't. The Palavunis were also patrons of religious architecture. The Church of St. Gregory, also known as the Church of Gregory Palavuni, or uh, Apura Marens, Apura Marens, if mm -hmm. I'm saying that correctly, uh, was built in the late 10th century and served as a private chapel for the family. I mean, talk about I having mean, a pool, right? Uh, Lord Lord Sambat uh, Magistros also founded the monastery of the Baganaid in 1010, and in 1031, another religious landmark in Ani was established, the Church of the Holy Apostles. Uh, then there's the Church of Shushan Palavuni, located near Ani's uh, citadel, which was built in the first half of the 11th century. Their contributions spanned more than just religious edifices well i mean it's starting we've talked about ani a lot yeah right but it really starts to make more sense the more and more you talk about it in some of these families with all of this information the money that was rolling in the power that some of these families had yeah and the buildings they were commissioning to be built yeah now you're starting to understand why ani was the city of a thousand and one churches there you go because yeah. everybody was flourishing yeah it was a fantastic time it's like well we want power well we want to build this and i would like a church there and i'd like a chapel there and yeah. it just kept going and going and going until and, we had a thousand one churches well i mean that's what they say yeah. but it wasn't the exact number i think yeah. we've talked about that with uh, christina moranzi yeah. did we yeah. not yeah um so anyway uh in 1040 they constructed the family mausoleum uh which very wealthy families have to this day Adjacent to the Abu Ramrens church, I think I butchered that too, another important site to mention is the Marmashen Monastery, uh, where the esteemed spot up at Varam Pahlavuni was laid to rest after his valiant demise on the battlefield in 1045. Um, now, besides architecture, yeah. uh, you know, we've, they also celebrated military leaders. Yep. Yeah. Or they were celebrated military leaders. Um, I can imagine, besides making spiritual contributions. Of course, of course. They yeah. also kind of extended their tentacles, let's just be realistic here, into other realms of, course, of, course. of now, society. I mean, the, the Palavuni family was renowned for its spotapets or supreme military commanders. Vasak and Varam Balavuni notably led the Armenian army during their times. Mm -hmm. uh, their military experts were not just conf uh, uh, confined to the battlefield, battlefield. They were pivotal in strengthening the kingdom of Armenia's defense by building new castles, fortresses, and fortifications. For instance, uh, between 988 and 1029, Varam Palavuni erected the Marmashen Monastery in 1026, he also completed the uh, Varamashen Monastery, which translates to built by Varam. Mm -hmm. Notably, it was positioned near the famous Palavuni Fortress of Ambert. Now, mm -hmm. their influence wasn't limited to just military and architectural pursuits. Of course it wasn't. Military, spiritual, and the mm -hmm. Palavunis also played a significant role in boosting the economy of the kingdom of Armenia. Obviously, if you've got the money to build these sort of things and you yeah. have a powerful army, let's think about Armenia today, you flourish. You 
you know, you build upon these things. Um, Their vast holdings, apparently, combined with their strategic and economic foresight, facilitated trade, agriculture, and other sectors laid foundation to robust economic prosperity. I mean, you can't not have just, you're building buildings just to kind of, it's like, oh, yeah. we just want to flex our muscle with our architecture. These guys are well, these families, yeah. guys, sorry, these families put money into every single sector. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it, nothing's changed from a thousand years ago. It's still the same thing today. These families, they didn't take money and keep it in their pockets. They gave back. Yes, yeah. they flexed their muscle with cute things and big buildings, but at the same time, you want to protect that stuff? You need an army. Yeah. You need a powerful economy where people don't want to destroy you. They want to work with you. Yeah. And they understood that back then. Exactly. So, and that's the trying to make. Hopefully we, you know, our, our current, uh, governments well, can well, learn like, a, I mean, powerful he, leaders yeah, can exactly. learn a few things. You know? Um, so basically the Palavuni family's contributions yeah. and what Gagi did by escalating this family into place, mm-hmm. they did wonderful with this opportunity, yeah. right? Yeah. They really, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They 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 capitalized on it. Yeah, and pun intended. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, I mean, in know. in a multi-dimensional way. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not like they were just handed some sort of here here's a million dollar check. Go build yeah. a few buildings. I mean that that's one of the main reasons why they're so renowned in in Armenian history of all the things yeah. that they've they've done, but. Besides talking about the Palavuni family, which was obviously pivotal in Armenian history, um, yet another influential family was the Apiratians. Now, mm-hmm. like I said, I hadn't heard about them until we started, uh, you know, researching about this episode. Um, let's shed some light uh, on this family and its importance during uh, uh, Gagik's reign. Sure. Um, so the Apirat Apiratian family i guess i'm i don't know if i'm saying it correctly indeed holds a special place in armenian history founded by gregory apirat yeah this family had notable control in the 11th century particularly over the yerevan region to put into perspective the power of the apiratians they commanded a cavalry of twelve thousand, pretty significant which was over double the size of the pavlavuni's own force i mean that that's quite a force um but how did they align let's say or or interact if that's the right word uh, with the palavunis um so there's an interesting aspect to this D- despite their separate powers the operatans were actually interrelated mm. um with the palavunis through marriage of course there's probably okay. some sort of prior engagements again pun intended or whatever the case is that kind of connected the two families together um so but they produced exceptional generals and they had really high-ranking spiritual leaders so if you really think about it you've got two very significant things covered in society right military leaders and spiritual leaders so now people are going to listen to you. Yeah. 
on spiritual side or, or and, military and both side. the military leaders and spirit they, there was a big connection between of course them. there was there had you to know? be and there and had well, during wartime well th that's yeah. the thing you know yeah. you've seen it in movies you know the spiritual leader walks them off before yeah. they go to battle and whatnot this is Not this is that, a uh, very you know, interlinked uh, thing advisor to the king yes. You know, yes to the commanders um, always in the meetings so prince gregory apirat and his brother gevork held significant territories spanning from the Varaznunik county of the Ayrarat province of Yerevan to Devin's vicinity, uh, and Devin's vicinity. Their architectural contributions were equally significant. For instance, in um, 1002, Gevork established the Church of Katorike in the Havut Star Monast Monastic Complex. Mm -hmm. Gregory Apirat followed suit, adding the Church of St. Gregory in the same monastery. Moreover, Gregory founded the monastery of Kecharis, which became the burial site for many of the Apiratian princes. Yeah. So I guess they built their little place where, you know, their family was more or less buried. Yeah. Um, now, changing or moving over to some, um, like, ecclesiastical domain, if you will, uh, King Gagik played a major role in influencing the Armenian church's leadership um yeah 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 he sure did um in uh, 992 uh, i should say i was gonna say yeah. 929 <laughs> the other way uh in 992 the uh, uh the consolidate to to consolidate his power and influence king gogging uh, ensured his friend sarkis the first uh uh was uh, cons uh consecrated as a new catholicos of armenian church so that's his buddy. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I got to get you in there because we got work to do. Nepotism, uh, nepotism was big. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, this alignment of the church and the monarchy became common, streamlining uh, secular and... Uh, mm -hmm. how, what was that word? Uh, ecclesiastical. 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 That's it. Power. This is your new favorite word. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's it. Power. Um, Sargis I, having previously led um, Sevanavank Monastery within Gagik's domain, then moved to the Catholico seat to Ani in the same year. So he basically, yeah. and it seems like this is a um, typical pattern. You know, every time a new Catholico comes in, wherever he was, moved the seat to. Ani. Uh, this move and the close alignment between Gog, uh, King Gogik and Catholic Sarkis I, both in terms of time and vision, uh, ushered in a golden age of Armenia. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's becoming very obvious that the military side of things, like we just touched on yeah. a few moments ago, and the spiritual side of things were so interlinked and so connected which was super beneficial for the strength of of the people and the nation yeah, yeah. right yeah. and everything they stood so stood yeah. for right i mean you couldn't be you know uh, more on point uh, the harmonious partnership led to a remarkable achievements Osho the third the merciful's aspiration was to reestablish the unity of the armenian church's spiritual centers and the capital are reminiscent of the early Christian era. The dream came uh, to um, to reality during the during King Gagik the first reign, with Ani becoming both the spiritual and administrative center, center during what we can uh, or it can be described as Armenia's zenith. 
Yeah, it really, really underlines the the importance of that connection. Yeah, it's undoubted, undoubtedly the you can you can run your society very strong grassroots level backbone. You know, like very very powerful connection. Yeah. Uh, um, and I mean, we see it now today in like modern society with certain countries where you see people kind of disconnecting from. I mean, I'm not saying you know, people need to follow religion or whatever the case is. But if you have a powerful is a connection big, big between, yeah, of course there is. We've, we've, you know, you've made mention of it. I've, I've made mention of it in different words, but you kind of have military going one way and the yeah. spiritual side going one way. We want our money here. We want our money here. Sorry, but it's true. Yeah. 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 Uh, unfortunately, money and materialistic, uh, things have taken over the world yeah. and not just in Armenian culture. No, not just, this isn't specific yeah. to yeah. Armenia. This, uh, this is everywhere. Just as human beings. Even um, here. Yeah. Now, before we continue, again, I want to mention, uh, first of all, I want to thank to everybody who has recently started uh, uh, becoming a Patreon, supporting us. We really appreciate it. We mention this all the time because it's very important, guys. Uh, but we have talked about how we have so many projects that we're working on uh, some of them we had to pause because of funding issues. Some of them we're, we're putting our own money into it. But uh, like I said, we do this out of the love of our history, our culture. And when you become a Patreon, it's five bucks a month. Think of it as for all the work we do, you're buying us a cup of coffee or a shot of cognac. Uh, maybe <laughs> Cognac's more expensive, but you know. Um, Speaking of which. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's, it helps us to be able to have a budget to do a lot more. Uh, everything, as you all know, costs money. Studio equipment costs money. All the cameras we use cost money. And just putting time and effort to do all this research and put everything together, this is part of our, um, you know, it, it's not our day job. We have to do this after our, our, our typical daily lives. Yeah, and but so, it's fun. It is fun, but we need your help. So, you know, Two and a half years into this. Uh, We're not going to stop. And by the way, I want to mention, thank you to everybody. We posted this on, on Instagram, but we have officially passed 10,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. Uh, thank you so much. We are humbled. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate it. Kind of cool. That's 10,000 people who like what we do, who are watching us. And we truly, truly, uh, I mean, we never thought we'd be here, especially on YouTube. I mean, we have a great following on the podcast platform. Huge. We're in like, I think we're at like 75 countries now, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, continue, please. The best way you can also help us is by sharing this with your friends, family, have them watch, have them subscribe on YouTube, or if they're, they like to listen podcasts, they can find us on any podcast. I had platform. some, I had some friends recently when, when I made that, when I shared the yeah. post yeah. that we made, um, and a couple friends reacted. Hey man, I promise I'm gonna start well listening to you guys at work and da da da. I'm like, you still haven't. Amazing, anyway, right? I mean, but they've promised me they are yeah. watching you. Yeah, watching you, man. It's all right. Um, and to everybody who's reaching out to us, thank you. Uh, we're a little bit slow right now responding to your uh, emails. It's just like I said, we're really busy, but we yeah. we will respond. We have responded to most of them, but some of them are asking for a lot of information where. We ourselves have to do research to get you those answers. So, we have, guys, we have, we're not historians. We're we not scholars. Jobs. So, we do have yeah. day jobs. Yeah. But moving on. So, 
Now, back to the 990s, uh, which marked the period where Gogik I was deeply involved in the strengthening of both his internal and external possessions. Um, I understand there was an interesting alliance mm-hmm. between uh, uh, different branches of the Bagratuni dynasty. Yeah, so Gogik I was quite a strategist, to say the least, yeah. um, that led him to form alliances with various Bagratuni branches. Uh, this included King Abbas of Ghars, David Bagratuni of Taik, and the Bagratuni brothers of Iberia. I mean, you had to, yeah. right? The primary objective of this alliance was to uh, counteract the threats posed by the Rawadid Emir uh, Mamlan I, I believe yeah. that, that's his name. Yeah. Um, as chronicled by Matthew of Edessa, which we have made mention a couple times. Yeah, a few times. Yeah. Um, in 998, Mamlan I invaded northeastern areas near Lake Vaughan with a significant force. This force clashed with the combined army of Gagik I and his allies near the village of Tsumb. Yeah. Now, someone we mentioned, Varam Palavuni, you know, um, he was a significant figure and he was very, very instrumental in this conflict, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, he was he was basically at the he was in charge of some like of a big significant part of the forces like that the combined that, forces. Yeah, yeah that yeah. that kind of started to interact in the situation yeah. at the Battle of Tsumb. Yeah. So this prince, later to be the spot up at or supreme military commander of the Armenian army played a pivotal role in this battle and throughout his life in Armenian politics. His valor during the defense of Ani in the early 1040s has also been immortalized. A 20th century novel by Andranik Hofsepian named after him has greatly popularized his legacy and some of his uh, yeah, adventures. We, I mean, that, that, when we, we found out about this, I really want to, um, you know, dive more into Baram Palavuni and and again, we've talked about this before that we will, um, as as we go through this era, I know we're covering different kings, but there's so many other uh, people players. mentioned, players. Yeah, so many that other players. What we'll do is eventually, once we're done with all the kingdoms, we will go back and pick out s- uh, specific uh, characters like Varam Palavuni and, and dive more into their, their life and what they did. Um, and hopefully that will bring... <clears throat> more shed more light um uh, you know uh, to who they were well this is where this is where the armenian literary experts writers and whatnot there's a reason why they picked these stories and these individuals or these characters to elaborate on yeah or make modern day versions of it right yeah there's there's a reason why yeah and i want to put this out there too um to all of our listeners if you guys know anyone that is might be a scholar or has great information about certain parts of history that you would want us to talk about, bring it to the forefront. Please, please, please uh, have him reach out to us. Again, this is not just about having historians and professors. We There are amazing people out there who have read so much, done a lot yeah. of research. So if you know people like even this. Some, even some of you guys, you guys yeah. are so yeah, knowledgeable this is not stuff. about it's just like, like I guys, said. You guys ever want to come on and talk? If you're, if there's a field of expertise that yeah. things that you've dove into, yeah. If if you're not shy to be on yeah, camera, come but on down. Uh, again, uh, reach out to us. We would love to have. You know, the the biggest problem we have with having 
intellectual and histo- historians or professors on the on the show. Busy. Not just that. A lot of them are in Armenia who don't speak English. So the problem we come across all the time is we when we reach out to them, they want to come on. But then they want us to have a translator. Now, can you imagine us interviewing somebody yeah, with a translator next to them? Everything they just said. Now we got to pause and wait for the translator to... And we talked about possibly having it pre-recorded and then put subtitles. Now we got to go there and translate the subtitles. But the I, it, we just feel like it's not going to be Look, the if, same. If so, we have to, we will. Yeah. But it's it's not an easy bridge to gap. Yeah. And, and like I said, the point of this in English is not just for Armenians. This is for a lot of non-Armenians watch and listen to this show. So uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why we are having trouble getting more and more of these professors who have so much information yeah. uh, that are in Armenia who don't speak English. But um, but like I said, if you know anyone who has information, have them reach out to us. They can email us uh, pod, P-O-D, at medheadosnet.com or, or through Instagram, reach out to us. if you yourself feel like you have enough knowledge about a particular portion of our history or whatnot and you want to just come have a conversation, yeah, come on down and have a conversation. Yeah. But uh, let's get back yeah. to and talk a little bit more about the strategies uh, during the Battle of Zoom. Of course. Um, observing the Rawadid forces, uh, Varam Pavlavuni identified a vulnerability, apparently. Their right wing was compromised mostly or comprised mostly of a poorly armed militia, unlike, the, unlike his own elite forces. Um, General Varam, with his deputy commanders Ashot and Sambat Magistros, commanded the formidable Armenian cataphracts, where, which were elite cavaliers. Added to this, they had reinforcements from Gurgen Bakraduni of Iberia. Sensing the opportunity, Varam Pallavuni instructed his forces to strike the Rawadid's weaker right wing, causing panic and disorder. Um, the maneuver assured Gagik I and his allies a more or less decisive victory. Wow, that sounds like a pivotal battle I mean, for Armenia, right? You gotta, you gotta figure these things out, right? So yeah. whoever their spies were, yeah, saw this, and we've we've covered these these type of strategies that you know going all the way back to even Tigran's time of how they used how to yeah s- circle flanks. hit the flanks, flanks, hit the weaker sides, or, and trap him and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um. Now, this victory at Zoom ensured that the emir of Atropatine would not launch another invasion, safeguarding Armenia's borders for the foreseeable future. The combined efforts and the unity of the Bagratuni branches during this period played a significant role uh, consolidating Armenia's territorial integrity, something that needs to take place today. Unity, (laughs) come together. Yeah. We are under attack. Yeah. Wake up, Armenians. Yeah. Um, so, diving deeper into King Gagik I and Queen Katranid II, yeah. again, she played a very pivotal role, but like, we don't want to, we don't want to give away too much this episode. We, we want to yeah. well, kind of compile just, some things, but there, yeah. there's things we're touching on. Um, yeah. it's, it's pretty remarkable to note that, um, their significant contributions to their architectural landscape of their realm. Um, the, the, of one of the examples being the monastic complex of Chetzkonk yeah. was a particular point of pride for the royal couple. 
Yeah, yeah. The the monastic complex of Hatzgong. Hatzgong. Yeah. Hatzgong. Shishtasa. Hatzgong. Hatzgong stands out as one of the architectural marvels initiated by King Gagik I and Queen Katramide. Mm-hmm. Located in close proximity to Ani, this complex was unfortunately targeted and destroyed by Turkish army in 1966. Of course. Um, I mean, nah. do we need to say anything nope. here? Um, unfortunately, our artillery fire obliterated four of the five churches within the complex, leaving the fifth church, St. Sarkis, heavily damaged. Such acts of deliberate uh, destructions have unfortunately been a recurring theme in Armenian history, leading the loss of many, many, many cultural treasures. Uh, and it's happening today in Artsakh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every I mean, day his, they're I mean, history, his, history is repeating itself. Our, our churches, our yeah. monuments, everything. Yeah, no, um, I mean, we've talked about this before and covering different, you know, uh, on episodes about uh, the city of Ani, but mm. the uh, Mother Cathedral, Mother of Cathedral. Ani is another yeah. gem uh, that, yes, you know. yes, it is. Uh, the Mother, Mother Cathedral of Ani, also known as the Church of the Holy Mother of God, is a masterpiece of Armenian architecture. Designed by the esteemed architect, Tartad. We've again about it many times. Yes. Uh, it was completed in 1001 under the patronage of King Gagik I and Queen Katranide. Its opulent features, such as the two-meter-tall silver cl- cross, it's a big cross, the crystal chandelier imported from India by Sambat II, and the dome adorned with frescoes showcased the grandeur of Armenian medieval architecture. Yeah. Tragically, after 1064, the Seljuks, those damn Seljuks, converted into a converted into a mosque, which led to the covering up of its beautiful frescoes. We've talked about the architectural prowess of Tartad um, and the influences he had, not only in the region but also outside, outside of, the region yeah. uh, in previous episodes. Yeah, I mean his his structures, and we mentioned this before. Throughout the the, the medieval time, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was used in Europe and yeah. you know, all over. Went all as the, far north as the Celtic yeah. regions. Yeah. Now, Tertod's architectural genius, evident in uh, obviously Mother Cathedral of Ani, is credited with pioneering innovations that would later play a significant role in the uh, development of the gothic style of the european architecture like i said we've mentioned this many Mm -hmm. times before uh features like ribbed vaulting pointed arches clustered columns and other unique elements that Tartad employed were innovated at the time and became fund uh foundational elements of the gothic style that dominated your european architecture from the 12th century onwards um esteemed art historians uh including uh david talbot rice and uh joseph's uh my i'm gonna butcher this Rizgovsky Sturzgowski have highlighted these innovations underlining tartad's monumental impact on world architecture um yeah we, we talked about this before i know it's kind of repeating it, but it's part of it you know it has so much they're all tied in together but it's but it's still fascinating to think about even in the midst of a conversation yeah. about like the the global impact that some of our yeah spiritual architecture has had 
I mean, specifically in Europe and the, what do you want to call them? The, the English islands, you know, the, yeah. the, the Celtic regions yeah. that far North. Yeah. Talked and it's about funny it before. people go tourists to go there and see all these architectures yeah. are, are in awe, how beautiful it's like, okay. So remember, this is all because of Tartad. More or his, less. And his yeah. design and his architecture. More or less. So uh, just keep that in mind next time you're, you're visiting and saying how beautiful these architectures are. Remember, that's Armenian architecture. Yeah. Our, uh, the DNA is Armenian architecture. Now, um, let's continue our journey through Armenian architectural history and dive a little bit deeper into architect Tartad's significant contributions. Uh, Tartad's uh, meticulous attention to detail and commitment to preserving the past while introducing new innovation makes him an architectural legend. Um, Let's explore more about uh, 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 Gakashen Cathedral, Mm -hmm. another architectural marvel of Tartad's uh, design. Um, uh, I mean if we dive a little bit deeper through the phase of our journey, we're going to find out so much more well, about what, what yeah, he, well, his design his. Well, I mean, you know. if you know, when you design something, you're not only being trying to be innovative, but you're also trying to pay homage. You're of not, of course, you know, yeah. think about, think about the fact that we're now in this time era in the early 11th century, all this stuff is being built we're what 700 years removed from accepting Christianity yeah, and starting to build churches, right? At this point, you're seven centuries in, you're going to need to preserve something, but at yeah. the same time, be innovative because you're moving yeah. forward, right? Yeah. yeah. It's design. It's of just course. the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after completing one, one major thing that he did, he, he, he had to repair the dome of the mother cathedral. So he seamlessly transitioned to bringing the architectural wonder to life. However, while the main structure was completed by uh, 1001, epigraphs inscribed around 1010 AD suggest that work may have extended for nearly another decade. Um, wow. The addition of the relics from, mon- from the monastery of St. Haripsime, yeah. thanks to the Catholic Sarkis I of Sevan, in a neighboring church speaks to the spiritual significance and intent of structures around the mother cathedral. Um, the Gagakashen cathedral in Ani is another crowning achievement of Tartad um, that we haven't really elaborated on. Sure is. Um, Now, this was built between uh, 1001 to 1005, the Kakashen Cathedral was Tartad's tribute to the 7th century Armenian Cathedral of Zvartnot, which is a UNESCO World yeah. Heritage Site. Um, interestingly, uh, Tartad's inspiration came from Zvartnot, which he had likely, uh, which had likely collapsed due to a powerful earthquake in 983. Um, again, we mentioned this, that's what they're thinking, that's one of the reasons why, you know, it, the, the destruction of the of the Zvartnots, uh cathedral um fascinating his, building yeah his vision uh, his vision was to uh reincarnate the grandeur not uh, in the uh but in ani basically mm-hmm. while the gakashen cathedral took the inspiration from Zvartnots, tartat introduced several innovations 
The architectural elements, such as columns, arches, were enhanced, echoing his signature uh, style, yeah. basically. Well, yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy had already, you know, more or less kind of established his own way of working, yeah. right? Yeah. His own yeah. aesthetic, so to speak. Now, uh, I mean, we talked about the, the, uh, buildings, the buildings and, and the architecture, yeah. but uh, let's dive a little bit more deeper into the, the magnificent statue of King Gagik Bagratuni. This is, this is kind of up my uh, alley now. That adored the Gagashen yeah. yeah. Cathedral. So Gagik got his own sculpture, his yeah. own statue. Yeah. Um, it was fairly large uh 2.26 meters to be exact but i mean look it's not i'd say about that's a like life size 2.26 yeah. meters is about what like six and a half seven feet yeah somewhere more around. or less right yeah. yeah life size um which could indicate he was a pretty tall man if that was life size true yeah, six and a half seven feet ain't bad so the statue was uh, a polychrome statue, which depicted uh, King Gagik I in all his royal glory. Notably, the statue was more refined and realistic than previous representations, reflecting the cultural renaissance that blossomed during King Gagik I's the reign. reign. Thanks to the um, 1905 and 1906 excavations led by Professor, Professor Nicholas Marr, this statue, along with other artifacts, were discovered. Mars' team consisted of prominent Armenian specialists, which uh, each contributing their expertise to the understanding of Ani. Um, it's also worth noting that unlike uh, other king's representations that are often seen as reliefs or whatnot on walls, frescoes and whatnot, King Gagik the first sculpture stands nearly th I mean basically it's a three-dimensional sculpture yeah. on a spe like specially constructed platform like or a niche. niche. Yeah. 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 These unique placements set set it apart and emphasize its significance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the size of it. Like, I mean, we haven't really talked about anything thus far architecturally that may have had any sort of sculpture of said king, queen, or whatever the yeah. case is, that was fairly large up until and, and this almost, point. Like you said, a full on three yeah, dimensional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, an actual yeah, statue yeah, of yeah. an individual. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. We've, we've talked about frescoes, we've talked about manuscripts having beautiful artwork in it that de depict stories and information and whatnot. But yeah. this is actually from, if I, I might be wrong, this is the first time we've talked about somebody getting a statue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we've touched upon his his sculpture in uh, yeah. with with the episode we did with uh, Christina Maranci, mm -hmm. but um, you know Mars uh, archaeological um, uh, expeditions uh, and just everything he's done for the uh, historical understanding of Ani's, um, you know, f from from let's say eighteen ninety two to nineteen sixteen. Um, he brought a lot of insight into Ani's history. Mm -hmm. uh, his team, including notable figures like Toros uh, Toramanian and Hovsep Orbeli, documented, analyzed, and shared their findings, enriching or uh, our understanding of Ani's architectural and cultural her heritage. Mm -hmm. My tongue's twisting now, so I'm having a hard time saying these words. Uh, the detailed documentation included photographs by Aram Vruir, offering a glimpse into Ani's past, enabling future generations to appreciate its glory and the talents of 
architects like Tortad. Yeah, it's truly a really inspiring time in history. Yeah. With again, I know I know I don't want to sound redundant, but we talked about how it was a flourishing time. People they were putting time and effort into making everything look gorgeous and beautiful and to show the power of of yeah, what they yeah, had established, right? Yeah. It's not just about the beauty that that beauty shows that like hey, we are a flourishing economy. Like come deal with us. Yeah. Don't don't destroy this. You know what I mean? It's it's really an interesting time in like world heritage. Yeah. It really is. No, I agree. I agree. Time machine. Yeah, time machine. <laughs> Uh, we just can't we just can't mess with it yeah until until things get dangerous then yeah maybe yeah maybe yeah. uh now continuing our intricate journey uh let's uh time travel speaking of time machines yeah. uh to events post camelist occupation of course it's impossible not to feel the weight of a cultural loss uh, let's talk about the aftermath uh of the occupation oh. and its impacts um can we can we just can we just end the episode here because this is where the (laughs) this is where the stuff goes downhill it's like the somber (laughs) chapter of our every every episode yeah every episode it's like we talk about all this great stuff great stuff and then just (laughs) but it's okay you know these are things that later yeah uh, I, other I kings and leaders came and learned from and still have they learning from them have they though armenian government hmm. yeah continuing are we are we gonna get in trouble for that oh i am done with it no 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 no, no 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 i'm not talking about youtube i'm talking about them oh them you think they might just kind of pick up on this like look at these two clowns yeah what are they gonna do i, mean, I don't know i'm just <laughs> i mean seriously they're probably not gonna like this very much but who it's cares? all right don't worry about it let's well, move on whatever <laughs> Anyway, uh, adding to this somber chapter. Yeah. Uh, after the occupation of Ghars by Kemalist forces, the Museum of Ani faced significant devastation. Uh, among the many lost treasures was the statue of King Gagik, which we'll elaborate on. Yeah. Though believed to be entirely lost, a fragment was discovered um, yeah. in 1998 mm-hmm. by a Georgian scholar, and I'm going to try not to butcher this, Georgi Kavtaradze. Bro, we've mentioned this name before. I know, <laughs> I know, but I've, it's still, it's not, yeah. you're not used to saying this stuff. Yeah. In the Museum of Erzurum, tragically, the rich history of the fragment, uh, of this fragment was reduced to mere speculations, apparently, yeah. uh, with even mistakenly identifying it as a part of a fish or a lion statue. Yeah, yeah. and we made fun of that. Uh, yeah. This is Sumbat's episode. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> fish. Fish. How does a hen look like a fish? Yeah, how does a hen look like a fish? Know. Well, maybe in, in. All right, I'm going to stop there. Um, the <laughs> Depend, devastate- depending on who's looking at it. Well, who was looking at it? I, the I Turks were looking at yeah, it, and I they said, saw a thank fish. You. That's what I said. I Depen- mean, depending on who's looking at it. Mike, don't break the mic. <laughs> I'll try not to break the mic, Mike. All right. Um, somber mode. The devastation faced during the Armenian genocide and the ensuring gears had far-reached impacts. The plunder and destructions were profound. Yeah, they, yeah, they Mr. were. Mike. Absolutely, they were. Um, yeah. in in nineteen eighteen. We saw Ani invaded by the Turks. Of course. Right? Um, 
Following this invasion, years of scientific research and valuable artifacts were lost almost instantly. Yep. Um, another wave of devastation came in 1920 when Mustafa Kemal's general, Kazim Karabekir, yeah. not only occupied significant Armenian territories, but also added to the destruction. Of course they would. Yeah. They're not going to yeah. settle on something yeah. less. Again, guys, we have covered this yeah. in previous episodes because it is important that we want to mention what took place but, in Ani. And how they, they yeah, and how they artifacts. basically yeah. destroyed everything, yeah. and whether they took it upon yeah. themselves, and and uh, I'll get to it in a second. The irony irony lies in the misrepresentation of some of these artifacts, oh, yeah. yeah, in Turkish museums. Uh, I'll get I'll give you an example. Um, one one can speculate how the statue of King Gagik ended up in Ezrum, of course. Some believe that the looted valuables from Ani were taken to Erzurum during Karabekir's occupation, given that he used Erzurum as a base. Yeah. King Gagik the first statue and the subsequent speculations around its uh, sculptural ensemble are fascinating. But the example I wanted to give, mm-hmm. my mom recently, I know you were in Armenia as well. Yeah. My mom recently was in Armenia earlier this year. She ended up visiting Eastern Turkey. She did like a tour, one of those tour things. Like yeah. went, she went yeah. to Gars. She went all the way f- as far to, I believe, Diyarbakir. Okay. Um, she was going to climb Nemrut. She didn't, but she got some of these books and she brought some of these books back. Man, this is all Armenian stuff, dude. It's all Armenian ancient stuff and it's all got like Turkish names given to it it says ancient turkey Uh, (laughs) i i keep forgetting to bring it to you i'll bring it to you she brought me the book it's in turkish no no no, yes yeah it is but the names are written in i mean it's written in english letters right so you can tell that they've renamed these things of course of course dude this is not it none of it's theirs i mean the fact that none of it's theirs everything they published and and when we did the the, yeah and and when we did the 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 med talk uh show the live show yeah. with Gevur Nazarian uh in front of a live audience which was an amazing experience if you guys haven't watched that go watch it it's on our channel um they talk about how you know they find all these artifacts yeah. they and they give it their names in, and not just that the fact that the 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 um academic world uh is actually falling for their they're rewarding, renaming, and specifically the fact that they keep saying ancient Turkey. Mm-hmm. What part of Turkey is ancient? Yeah. Please, somebody. None of it. Like, I mean, literally none of it. Ancient There's Turkey. There's nothing just, ancient about it. Anyways. The, fur- the furthest it goes, I mean, if, you know, fundamental history is yeah. the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Which is what they, they basically swept in and settled there in uh, the 15th century. Late no, no 16th century. 16th century. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, 1500s. 1500s. Yeah, so 16th century. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what five? And none, none of that was theirs. Yeah. None of that was theirs. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. So now, architect Avanik Khachaturian theorized that Gagik's statue might have been part of a larger sculpture ensemble, perhaps alongside Queen Atramide II, or even a statue of Christ. These sculptures, um with uh, history and symbolism were meant to uh, convey the grandeur Mm -hmm. of the times and their rulers. Um, Now, King Gagik, the first passing marked 
kind of the end of an era. Yeah, it did. Right? Uh, while there's some debate around the exact year of his passing, could have been what, like 1017 or 1020. Yeah. Um, the impact of his death is undeniable. King Gagik I was likely buried next to his father, Ashot Yerort, or Ashot yeah. III, near the church of Surkevork. Um, it was fitting. It was a fitting resting place, giving the, given the church's significance and the annals of Armenian history. Um, Post-Gagik I era, um, Armenia entered a very challenging phase, to say the least, yeah. Um, yeah. after this point. Yeah, uh, it's actually uh, quite right. Mr. Balian, unfortunately, with the passing of King Gagik, Armenia's uh, political landscape became yeah. turbulent. Uh, the rivalry between King Gagik's sons, Hovanes Sambat and Ashot, over the throne weakened the Bagratuni dynasty and the kingdom of Armenia. Why am I not surprised? Um, this internal strife and the subsequent decline set the stage of the events that will delve into our upcoming episodes a rich tapestry of heartbreak and resurgence uh armenia's history is nothing short of epic to say the least uh we have our high moments very high moments and very low moments yeah um we almost feel like we sound like a really bad european movie that just always has like a bad ending yeah to everything yeah it's like it's it's that constant yeah. roller coaster ride of just it never ends. No, it's, you go to the no. height and then you drop down. You go to the height and yeah. there wasn't really, I mean, maybe a small amount of time, but there's never really historically. And and as we go further into the future with all these episodes, I mean, man, it's always been some kind of struggle, you know. Uh, trying to survive in that area and we all know why because obviously it's the positioning of the landscape landscape and, and being the crossroads and, of and the social pressures of massive empires that you were surrounded by that are probably throwing you but here's throwing you all sorts of promises and wealth and whatnot and yeah and you know well well listen throughout history don't forget we've had we ourselves as armenians have had or have been large empires yes and the problem is always has been is that due to internal strife we have uh never grown more more or been reduced to these smaller kingdoms because of the the greed the jealousy backstabbing so forth well well look at it this way if someone knows that you're not united right it's easy to get to your own kind and promise them like Yusuf yeah. promised everybody crowns. It's easy to Just fracture. Like <laughs> it's easy to fracture that. I mean, it still stands today. This is a rule of, yeah. this is like a universal rule. I mean, look at what's happening right now. We're, the, we're so well, divided. Well, yeah, what, what's, the, what's the cliche? United we stand, uh, divided, divided we, we fall. fall right. right, yeah. This is for everyone or everything. This goes from a small four-person family to a city, to a village, to a state, to Community, a country, whatever, yeah. whatever you want to classify yeah. this as. This is the bottom line. Number one rule of controlling anything is divide and conquer. Yeah. So if you have division within your own ranks, how easy is it for somebody? You, you don't even have to be a major enemy yeah. to penetrate you and say, hey, 
I give you this, yeah. I can give you this, I can promise you this, and yada, yada, yada. I couldn't agree more, my friend. I mean, I mean that's what I'm saying. It's it's unfortunate that that same situation is happening today. With, of course it is. With the division uh, within our people, and not just the diaspora, uh, over there especially, you know, the diaspora, we, we do as much as we can, but it's just, this is, this is going to be the downfall of us as a people if this doesn't change. These, um, uh, you know, you have the opposition. I mean, you know, it's always healthy to have opposition, right? You look at here, you have the two sides. Obviously, it's a, it's a two, of course it two is. party kind of a system here. Uh, you know, yeah, you have these other parties, but yeah, whatever. Really, yeah. But over there, it's like, man, it's unbelievable the tension. I mean, it's pure hatred. And it, it's like, how can people from the same nation, same, let's call it bloodline, uh, hate each other so much? What is some people doing here. Some people, um, some but, people would blame it on. And and uh, I do agree with this to an extent. Some people would blame it on post-Soviet collapse. Everybody was desperate. Everyone's trying to make money. Everyone's trying to survive. Blah 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 blah. And you know. Like they, yeah, they started yeah. to kind of like everybody was like, you know, teach their own survival yeah. of the fittest, yada, yeah. yada, yada. Right. I got yeah. it. And then everybody trying to take a piece of it, the pie. And then you got this like little percentage. I want, I can't even put a number on it. You got this little percentage who just managed to grab everything. Yeah. More or less everything. Yeah. And everybody else was down here. Right. And now everybody that was down here, it's like you flash them a little bit of this little bit of money. And they're just like, dude, I'm my, my, your wish is my command, yeah. more or less, yeah. right? To the highest bidder. Yeah. And it's true. I don't care. I'll say it. Like, no, it's, it's 100% it's, true. It's, it's real. Listen, of we have it's to, reality. We ha as, as people, and not just being but, Armenian, but even, you have to face reality. You have to accept the fact that we, we as a nation, we as people, we're not perfect. We have a lot of, lot of, lot of problems and a lot of faults. And the point of talking about this stuff is to recognize the mistakes we're making the 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 to to correct those in order to be able to have a better future as a nation as a people for our kids uh you know we're going to die off one day and and what what are you going to live for, uh, leave your kids and your grandchildren what is there going to be in armenia even at that time but you but know. here's but here's the interesting thing about this. And and now we can say it's recent history. We can't say we don't understand it. We haven't talked about it. Ever since post-Soviet collapse, the individuals, I don't need to name the names, who really made all the money, who took the big giant piece of the pie yeah. for the last 30, 35 years, it was like it was never enough for them. They needed oh, to take more yeah. and more and more and more. And more. It was never enough for them. It's like you could never snip enough of the top of the tree. Yeah. You could never get to the top of the tree to snip it enough because they just needed to outgrow yeah, it more and know, more and more. But you know you what understand? that's from? You know what that's from? It's from It's as if it's as if like sorry, really quick, it's as if they never saw it and they can't see the end of it. Well, there, there, see, here's the thing. If you take a human being who is become successful in life financially by working hard, by sweat and tears mm -hmm. and become and going through all the stages of success and yeah. reaching that top of become, let's say, a multimillionaire or a billionaire, yeah. right? That person appreciates and understands the value of money, of wealth. Someone like that who 
all of a sudden well, there was, was there at the right time, right place, many of them, yeah. who all of a sudden had this 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 uh, spout open for them where a yeah. limited amount of money was coming in. Black gold came out. Yeah, and they tried to take as much as now when that's happening. So what happens is someone who doesn't understand the value of it, what they do is if they're going to go buy these glasses and these glasses for someone normal, let's say these glasses cost a thousand dollars right for you and i thousand dollars for glasses have you lost your mind okay you're gonna do everything not to lose them you're gonna take care of them okay but here's the thing first of all you can't afford to pay a thousand dollars for let's say a sure thing someone like them they don't value it because it's just a number because they have millions coming in right that's the thing so so they're never gonna stop no. Because it's an addiction at the same time. There's, their lifestyle has changed. I mean, how many women do we know that have like massive properties all over the world? I mean, offshore bank accounts. Yeah. All the, like to until money, this day. To, yeah, yeah. Until this whatever. day. They live lavishly. And most of them are here now in the United States. Well, they have a lot of abroad investments. I mean, well, again, not yeah. to name names, with, but with, I'm sure with some of you guys stolen know. Stolen blood money. Yes. Yes. Um, and, to the- and look, who's to say, who's to say? We, unless we had a time machine and yeah. we could go back and see it physically ourselves, who's to say that maybe some of these noble families didn't live the same ways? Who's to say maybe in in a thousand years ago ways? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. Well, you, you know what I'm saying. Who's to say that like they didn't live? So, I guess what I'm saying is again and again. I I guess I have my platform to be kind of critical here. Is maybe some of us haven't changed. In a thousand thousand years. I mean, I I hate to sound that way, man. But like every time we we go into this, we talk about this, it's like the same thing. But here's the thing. If you go back, you look at, uh, yeah, there was the greed. There was the backstabbing. Of course there was. But But that's not just limited to Armenians. It's been so many different cultures. You know, just in this, what we just talked about, you saw that these powerful families would, they, the money that they had, the wealth, they put it back into their yes. kingdoms to protect the people. Absolutely. To, right? Uh, Military and spiritual. Yeah. Versus what happened in the last 30 years, which was, they it wasn't exist. about, it was all fake. Mm-hmm. It, everything, they well, pretended. I mean, okay. So you're, you're, well, you're way more versed. Let's be real. You're way more versed with like the modern shortcomings of our heritage yeah. over the last like 30, 35 years. Can you tell me a time where military and spiritual were that combined based off of what we talked about tonight? No, I think it, they, they, they tried to make it seem like it was, but it wasn't. And because they were in on it together. Of course. They were in on it together. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Talk about digressing, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, got a little, got yeah. a little passionate but, there. You know, again, a lot of the stuff uh, we talk about it, it reminds us of everything that is happening today, and it's 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 very hard not to talk about it. Uh, and we want to talk about it. We want to tell these stories to realize, you know, what has happened in the past and what is happening now, because what is happening now is going to be history soon. Yeah, Recent I mean, history, yesterday, yesterday is history. Yeah. So. But hopefully, you guys learned something from this episode. Yeah. Um, We'll be back with a new episode, um, um, hopefully next week mm-hmm. again. Uh, like and I said, some new artwork. Yeah, some new artwork. We have a lot more to cover. 
and uh, we are trying our best to be with you guys on a weekly basis. But like I said, uh, sometimes life throws things in front yeah. of you where you have to take care of those things first before well, that and the holidays are coming. Our up. fun little podcast again. Um, if you guys don't follow us on Instagram, please do so. Uh, it's at MedHeadOfSned. Um, if you guys want to reach out to us, you can either DM us on Instagram or you can email us at pod at com with any questions. And uh, again, please, please, please support us. Go to patreon.com forward slash medheadosnet. Uh, the link is actually in the body of the uh, of the video where you guys can click on it and become a uh, Patreon. It's five bucks. So buy us a coffee. Buy us a coffee. And, um, and we'll continue doing what we do. Uh, even if you don't buy us a coffee, we'll still yeah, continue uh, the doing show what must we do. go on. Yeah. But uh, besides that, um, anything else I'm forgetting? No. no. no? We'll yeah. get, we'll, next episode, we'll show off some fun artwork. Yeah. And we'll talk Something. about more of the Bagratunis. We're almost at the end of the Bagratuni dynasty. Yeah. And we'll talk about the two brothers who fought over uh, the control of the kingdom, which pretty much. Uh, was the end of put the cap and, on yeah, it <laughs> put the cap on it sealed it it had to come down to two brothers yeah yeah but yeah. anyways everyone thank you again for joining us for this episode of Medhead Snedge uh, we are thankful for everybody yeah, again everybody. who has subscribed we are in awe uh, over 10,000 I think we're getting close to 11,000 but again thank you thank you thank you so as we always say at the end of every episode respect one another Love one another. Till the next episode, take care of yourselves.